live from the Interaction Media Studio in Morgantown. Welcome to Positively West Virginia and our new weekly show, West Virginia Small Business Mastermind. I'm your host, Jim Matuga. For those of you joining us live on Facebook, welcome and thanks for tuning in. We have an amazing panel for you today, and we welcome your live questions through Facebook as well. Every Friday, we gather like-minded people on this Zoom platform to help West Virginia small business owners and small business leaders win. That's our goal. And, uh, you know, we've been doing this now for our, our fifth episode, and we're extremely excited for this new platform. Through our uh, media partnership, we're actually live streaming this call through our Positively West Virginia Facebook page and across the distribution network with WVNews.com. West Virginia Small Business and Interaction Media. I'll introduce our esteemed panel today and get into our discussion. First of all, Shelly Moore-Capito. Senator Shelly Moore-Capito, thank you for being on the show today. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be on. Thanks. Yeah. Frank Vitale with Forge Business Solutions. Frank, great to see you again. Great to be here. And John Miller, editor of the State Journal and WV News. John, great to see you too, man. Thank you. Thank you Welcome very everyone. Much. We have a lot to cover today, but first I'd like to just go around the horn and see how each one of you guys are doing today. It's a beautiful day in Morgantown. So uh, how are you doing, Senator uh, Capito? May 15th. Right, May 15th. Well, I'm doing really well. Uh, I've been in, back in Washington now for two weeks. And uh, it's a new world up there. Uh, we're all wearing our masks. We are doing virtual um, committee meetings, which we had never done before. And we are spaced out in our voting. And if we meet for lunch, we only three to a table, very little staff, no visitors at all. And so usually this time of year, Capitol Hill is just bustling. And so is Washington, D.C. And about this is there's no traffic in downtown Washington, D.C., which is some of the worst traffic. But I'm back home now, and I'm always feeling good when I get to get back home. Yeah, that's great. Great to see you. Frank, how are you doing today? Thanks. Great, great. It's a beautiful day in, in the Mountain State. And my, uh, my twin girls that are, that are eight and in the second grade, and my son is 11, he's wrapping up uh, uh, elementary school and be headed to middle school next year. They're, they're on their last week of school, so it's all good. We're, we're very blessed. Awesome. John, you're down to Clarksburg today. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's uh, going to be a beautiful day. Uh, and, uh, you know, there, although, uh, as, as uh, Senator Capito mentioned, you know, traffic is uh, not anywhere near where it used to be in, in the uh, North Central Beltway, so to speak. Uh, there is a, a feeling of a sense of uh, some type of return to normalcy, and we, we can't wait for that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's good to hear from all you guys, and I'm glad to, glad to have you on the call today. Uh, obviously, we're in winding up uh, week three of, of uh, G uh, Governor Jim Justice's West Virginia Strong, the comeback plan, reopening West Virginia. And there's lots of excitement going on, lots of concern. We're still trying to be diligent with social distancing and hand washing and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's very important that we maintain that diligence. But lifting the economic restrictions uh, is one thing, but, you know, really and businesses, especially small businesses in West Virginia, back opening and getting back to profitability is another thing. So, Senator Capito, I thought we we could talk, uh, kind of toss it to you first. Uh, there's so many things to, uh, you know, to cover, but first, first and foremost, there's talk about this new relief package um, on mm -hmm. Capitol Hill right now. 
If so, if, if, do we need it? If so, how much do we need? And what are your thoughts on this extra stimulus package or relief package, especially for small businesses? Well, let me just kind of review what we did for the small businesses in the past. Absolutely. Uh, yep. Through the PPP program, the Paycheck Protection Program, which over 15,000 West Virginia businesses have taken advantage of that. And uh, it gives the eight weeks of uh, a forgivable loan so that we can keep our our employees and our employers connected. Even with that, we see unemployment just skyrocketing. So yeah. uh, we put 350 in to begin with, 350 billion, and we put another 310 billion in and try to focus it more on the smaller businesses, which we were successful. A lot of community banks got involved in that. Uh, the average loan in West Virginia is about $69,000. So you know those are, those are small businesses with small payrolls, but it's the difference between them being able to reopen. So here we are now, we're getting at the end of the 310 billion because of the popularity of the program and the success of the program. And there's several conversations going on. Number one, does the program need more money to help small businesses? Uh, number two, um, if, if in fact it does need more money, how can we focus it in again on smaller businesses and maybe businesses that have, don't have an accountant and you know, haven't had the access to the quick um, application for those uh, dollars. And I think that, uh, you know, we'll, so we'll evaluate where we are. Uh, at this point, uh, we, we don't have a, uh, anything um, that we're going to be putting any more money into the PPP right away. We're sort of in a wait and see, a pause, if you will. The other issue with small business that I'm hearing about is the unemployment. We obviously in West Virginia have huge unemployment numbers, as we do across the country. Yep. We put an enhanced benefit into unemployment of an additional $600 per week. And that's uh, worked out very, very well for those who are unfortunately furloughed or separated from their job. But it has caused a problem with some small businesses because uh, in calling people back to work as we begin to reopen, some, some people can actually make more on, um, on the unemployment, the enhanced unemployment, than, than they do in their uh, normal uh, uh, in their normal job and and so there's a hesitancy obviously people don't want to leave the enhanced benefit uh, employers don't want disgruntled employees I've called you back and 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 now you're you know now you're upset because you're having to lose um, an, an enhanced benefit and so there's some issues there that we're looking at uh, how can we because um, that, that is set to uh, expire July 31st. I don't think we will extend uh, an enhanced benefit for the very reason I'm talking. But overall, it's really been the difference of keeping people's heads above water in a lot of cases. Absolutely. And I think the un unintended consequence is exactly what you just described, is that there's this, right. <laughs> you know, why, why do I want to go back if I'm getting this? Right. And it's that whole balance. So I, I definitely appreciate, uh, you know, where you're coming from there. John, would you like to uh, you know uh, kind of take it from there and, and, and ask a follow up on on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the biggest concern that we're hearing, and and I can understand, and I think our readers can understand, our audience can understand, you know, that there's a difference between California and New York and cost of living, mm -hmm. but it, it just seemed to be kind of haphazard um, to just throw six hundred dollars extra a week onto somebody's unemployment. And, and create a situation that is very challenging um, to small business, I think in West Virginia in particular, but not just West Virginia, I think it's true in Maryland, I think it's true in Virginia, parts of you know, rural America 
where the cost of living is cheaper and, and that type of thing. When all of a sudden somebody can sit at home and make $600 more just staying home, it, it kind of defeats the purpose. I have to ask why more of that wasn't rolled into more PPP initially. I know they came back mm-hmm. and, and did the supplemental PPP, which was definitely needed, but, you know, hopefully moving forward. And I, I have to ask, you know, where you stand on this, because I think the house is expected to pass it today, much along right. party lines, um, $3 trillion in additional aid. Um, you know, can you support that amount? Well, no, I cannot support $3 trillion. Uh, and I think that's what you're talking about. You, you mentioned haphazard. And I think, um, while that's not exactly the term I would use, I think that it's, uh, it's applicable to the way we approach this. We try to look at it for small business help, individual help, a large business help because they get access to the treasury for uh, a lower lending, uh, lower interest lending window, helping the aviation, helping our hospitals, developing vaccines. I mean, you can just see it just came up so fast and so uh, all-encompassing that we didn't really take the pause to look at um, what the effects of this $600 could be. We did have a vote uh, that would say you could not earn more on unemployment than you earned in your job, but that failed. Uh, both Senator Manchin and I voted for that, but it failed. And, um, and so, and, uh, and so I think that uh, I, I, I'm assuming that the house bill, that's the $3 trillion bill, it has more money in there for, uh, I mean, a lot more money in for cities, counties, and states. And obviously that's the big states. There's a hesitancy by me and many others. I don't want to bail out big states that haven't been managing their budgets well. And I don't want to bail out their pension systems. And so that's one issue I have with it. It also reforms, it requires that everybody gets same day registration and election. Everybody has mail. And I mean, it's just a whole bucket of I, I heard Senator McConnell say uh, yesterday that it, meant it, it mentions cannabis 68 times and it mentions jobs five times. So um, it's just a, a one, uh, Alice in Wonderland kind of wish list of, uh, of uh, Speaker Pelosi and her party. But uh, so it doesn't have a shot. I and mean, we're trying to take a more measured approach, obviously. trillion is a lot. We've got debt going on here. At the same time, we need to keep our eye on. And we also want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to enhance the ability for small businesses to reopen with, you know, on the economic side. And I think that's the big concern. Yeah, Yeah, I do want to chime in if I can, Jim, uh, with the fact that, you know, I applaud Senator Capito and Senator Manchin. They both did vote for the uh, effort to limit that. And, and, and in my conversations with both of them, it was, you know, it was about, you know, I'm fine. Hey, make everybody a hundred percent whole, you know, because yeah. most state unemployment is only at 60 or 70% of what they were earning through. Right. This is through no fault of their own, no through fault of the employer. So by all means, make them a hundred percent whole for a short amount of time. But again, let's funnel more of that money into ways to get people back to work safely Let's right. spend that additional money on PPE. Let's spend that additional, or yeah, PPE. Let's spend that additional money. Too many acronyms on a Friday morning. I know. But, uh, <laughs> you know, let's spend it on, you know, hey, instead of eight weeks of, of uh, payroll protection, let's do 12 weeks of payroll protection. It just seemed a haphazard. I was aiming that more towards the, the, the developers of it. I know Senator Capito and Senator Manchin fought hard 
for, yeah. for what was good for West Virginia. And good we points. benefited yep. because of that. And, and honestly, you know, the, the, the lift was heavy, right? You, right. Uh, you know, the, the federal government had, had to step in and do something to, to, to provide assistance for, especially for, uh, you know, the people out there that are hurting and, and with, you know, like you said, the uh, people losing their jobs every second, you know, it was, it was a tough lift, but you guys, uh, you know, you did the best you could. Now we, we're stepping back and now it's round two. And I think there's a little bit more, uh, thought going into that uh, that mm-hmm. process. That's kind of my observation. Frank, what are you what what are you thinking on that? Yeah, I mean, I I think that there's no question that you know if you could could make a decision after the fact, you, you know, and yeah. and develop a plan after the fact. I mean, we'd all do things differently, but I you know I think that by and large, you know, the president led and and. As best he could, given the information that he had available to him, as any leader would. Um, so, you know, I, I think, especially as a small business that took advantage of the PPP program, I found it to be, quite frankly, very easy to work with, and and it has been helpful. And in fact, I've been able to use it to sort of what I call double down on my business and actually put give more hours and. And actually, you know, try to release innovation within within my own company. And yeah. so it's it's I've used it, I believe, for the intended purpose. So, you know, I, I think I think we got it mostly right. At least no, it's not perfect, but at least for an initial tranche, I, I think I think we did well. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, you know, I feel like, you know, I talk to a lot of business people every single day in West Virginia and and uh, you know, it's it, it there are, there's hiccups and there's little roadblocks, but I mean, my goodness, what, what we've been through in the last nine weeks has been incredible. Senator, um, I'd like to get your thoughts on, um, you know, with regard to the things you're hearing out there, what are some of the, some of the real concerns in West Virginia that, that some of the business folks that you're talking to are, you know, outside of PPP and, and, and mm-hmm. the, you know, the economics of it, what are some of the other issues that you're, that you're coming up against right now that you're, that you're hearing out there? Well, I think, first of all, uh, confidence is, is one. What kind of yeah, confidence yeah. do people have to go out and shop, uh, to go into a restaurant, mm. to, um, uh, you know, resume a normal way of, of going about stuff? Now, you know, I tell myself, you know, I've been going to the grocery store and, uh, you know, and haven't had any issues with that. I mean, practicing safe behaviors, but... Um, you know, the just—I used to the distraction of going to the grocery store is now a welcome thing in in your life um, because it's really your only socialization. So I think the confidence uh, factor on the health side is going to be critical. And so for businesses, depending on what kind of business—if you have a small manufacturer, you got to be able to get PPE, but you also have to be able to social to safe distance and 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 do sanitation and 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 that kind of thing, maybe at a more heightened degree. So I think good parameters. Uh, for that are going to be important for small business people. Another thing that we're really hearing a lot about is some kind of liability protections. Uh, let's say you have a nursing home or let's say you're at WVU and a student comes back and, uh, or let's say one of your professors comes back and gets COVID. You've called everybody back. They get coronavirus. Is there an actionable, uh, and some lawyers will, will pounce on that saying that, you know, you're, your employer didn't exercise um, safety or, or pr- proper conditions. And when you could have gotten it at the grocery store or somewhere else, who knows? But right. I, I think that we're going to try to get some limited liability for 
not just business, but small business too, but also um, uh, universities, colleges, students going back uh, is going to present a challenge. Um, nonprofits are going to have the same issues. Uh, so anybody who's reopening their doors is going to have some issues in terms of um, make, trying to do best practices, keep people safe, but try to keep the lawsuits down because that's just another buster to our economy. Exactly. It was, it was funny because just listening to you talk, Senator, uh, you know, just this week, I finally got to go in after nine weeks and get a haircut, you know, and it was just, it was just an amazing thing. You know, it's one thing being in a grocery store, but in the tight quarters of a little barber shop here in Star City, West Virginia, you know, and it's like six feet and there are five people in there and everybody's got a mask on. You're trying to get your haircut with a mask. It is a, it's just a different world, right? Yeah. It's just, it's yeah. kind of weird to be honest with you. Frank, last week on this show, you talked exactly about what the Senator just mentioned, and that is uh, confidence. You mentioned consumer confidence specifically. Can you, can you kind of address some of the things that you're learning more about that as you're dealing with uh, business owners around the state? Yeah, I, I mean, I think clearly that, and, and appropriately businesses have been judicious, especially early on about spending money, about investing, you know, period, in, in their own business and, and so forth. So I think that's starting to really loosen up. Um, the, the two items that you mentioned, you know, consumer confidence, you know, being critical because if, you know, if businesses believe that there's consumer confidence and, and customers are going to start spending money again, then they can, you know, bring people back to work, they can invest in their business and, and start uh, building up inventory and those sorts of things again. And I, I think it's, the, they're inextricably connected, right? The consumer confidence and the ability for businesses to invest are critical. That being said, um, the, the liability piece that the Senator mentioned is so important as well, right? Because that's part of being confident. If I believe that if I act in good faith, right? If I do what I can to protect my employees and my customers, then I'm going to be okay, that it's all right to go ahead and move forward. And that's so critical. And so I think, you know, I also think about not just, you know, businesses, for-profit businesses, but how about all the nonprofit organizations? You know, how about all of the feeding programs and, and the social service programs out there that, that, that help people? They've got to be confident that they can continue to do, meet their mission without being sued as well. So I, I think what the senator brought up is very important, but we've got to get consumer confidence moving in the right direction, not only nas globally, nationally, but also right here in West Virginia. Yeah, I agree. Senator Capito, one of the things that, uh, you know, Frank talked about unleashing innovation, and that's been one of our, one of our uh, topics of, of, of real hot, hot debate here. And, and really, I feel like there's so much opportunity in West Virginia uh, as we're getting these ships to the calm water, so to speak. And, and one of the things that, uh, that, that's on my mind right now is, is broadband. And mm -hmm. the, the opportunities, you know, for people to be able to work at home and, and education to happen at home. And some of the, some of the rural, rural areas of West Virginia um, have li very limited access and broadband and access to that is, is extremely important. What are your thoughts and, uh, on, on that particular topic as it pertains to, you know, the new world, you know, working from home and, and education from home? Well, I think when we have a chance to really reflect on where we've where we've been and where we where we where we're going to want to be, uh, this issue of broadband is going to be one of the uh, one of the principal um, sticking points of where we can improve immensely as a nation. And we had a um, 
hearing on Wednesday in Commerce on this very issue on rural broadband and problems that we've seen. So you send a, a kid home to rural Mon County um, and they can't do their homework. Uh, they can't go to the library. They can't go to McDonald's, uh, you know, and sit and use the Wi-Fi. So they're behind. And, um, and I think the school systems have tried to be innovative. They've purchased hotspots. They've worked with, um, they've gotten some, um, some donations to try to help them with that. We did provide funding to our uh, elementary and uh, well, K through 12 uh, for this very purpose to try to, you know, up, uh, upload some of their um, uh, technology and, and improve it. You know, can't hope it happen overnight, but I think um, I was talking to the superintendent in, in Wheeling and also at the one in um, uh, Webster County. I mean, talk about rural, and that's what they're trying to do is work with these hotspots to some success. I mean, Webster County be tough because it's just so mountainous. But um, so it's the education portion. We've already seen schools cancel. Uh, they're going to have, I mean, talking higher ed here, but there's a lot of them are canceling classes for fall and they're going to do virtual classes. Uh, so uh, we got to get that up to speed. The telehealth issue is something that I think could exactly. drive this whole, yeah. exactly. could drive this whole argument. And I think the divide in rural America is not just uh, a digital divide, it's also a divide of health because you don't have specialists, it takes too long, it takes a long time to get there, it's hard to get an appointment. When you can do it virtually, if it's appropriate, can really spread healthcare and healthcare accessibility uh, to all kinds of people. So that's another reason that we gotta do it. Yeah, and then the yeah, telework yeah. aspect as well. Yeah, go ahead. Senator, you, you've been a champion uh, for for West Virginia on the broadband front, you've had the FCC commissioner here, I believe, right, uh, right, and 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 some folks. I think now you have, you know, you know, really a great case to make because, as you well know, most of of rural West Virginia, you know, you go down to Mingo County and some of those you know areas where they just don't have access and they can't get their health care through telemedicine. To your point. But you have long been a champion. Hopefully now you have the ammunition you need to, because we have to be better prepared for the future because there will be another pandemic. There will be another issue that we have to deal with down the road. And if we don't take these best practices and lessons learned, I, I think it'd be a big mistake. I, I think the, that's great. Yep. Yeah. I was gonna say the one good thing about broadband development in rural America, every Senator has a rural part of their sure. state. It is a total bipartisan issue. So if we're looking for something that's going to be meaningful in the aftermath of this, that everybody's going to benefit from, a huge broadband development uh, and deployment is is one of those things. Yeah, yeah, I think it comes down to the word access. You know, right? It's access to telehealth. It's access to telework. It's access to education. John, mm -hmm. what were you going to say? Well, I, what I was going to add is that I know we mentioned Webster and Mingo, and absolutely, I mean, I can't imagine trying to get broadband into Webster County, and I mean, beautiful area, <laughs> but, you know, when you think Webster County, Nicholas County, some of those areas, you're not thinking broadband, but, you know, even in Harrison County, you know, where, you know, they tried to ramp up distance learning, you're, you're looking at 10 to 15% of the students couldn't be reached. Mm -hmm. on a consistent basis. Lewis County, I think the percentage is even higher. I know there's some work going on there, trying to improve it there. Mm -hmm. um, I know Doddridge County has made a major investment. I think, Senator, you were uh, 
involved with that where they're working on some efforts where the school board and the county commission and a, and a private entity is going together and, and basically right. saying we're, we're bringing broadband to Doddridge County one right. way or the other. We're gonna, the school board's gonna pay for it for the students. There's, there's ways that can overcome this and ab absolutely, Frank's right, there, there's p potential for another pandemic or a catastrophic event that's gonna lead us to need this. But really, let's be honest. I mean, if West Virginia wants to move to the next level, we need it because we need it. It, it, yeah. it shouldn't, it, you know, let the pandemic drive it. But the reality of it is for us to compete in the 21st century, more of West Virginia, 99.9% .9 of West Virginia needs broadband. So, right. Senator, what are, what are some practical things West Virginia business leaders can be doing to, to you know, keep this fight alive and, and moving forward and, and you know what are some things we can be doing out there in the communities you know it's interesting uh, one of the questions in my committee was about uh, what and one of the answers was about a a place in Mississippi where it's a small town but nobody wants to serve it nobody wants to be the internet service provider and mm -hmm. and the response by the uh, uh, panelist was interesting to me and I think this is something that businesses could think about is he suggested that what you should do is go around in your small town and sort of get your pre-customers, get your small businesses uh, to say, okay, if, if, if a service provider comes in, I'm all in. If a service provider comes in and sort of develop a customer base, and, and we're talking small here, smaller, small uh, towns. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that people are doing is now, if you talk about Harrison County, John, um, the Harrison County Cooperative, Rural Cooperative, just accessed about $28 million from the USDA rural, rural Utilities. Well, remember rural utilities were back in the 1920s when we deployed electricity. So it's the same mechanism that that cooperative, uh, rural cooperative deploys, I think they have 5,000 or maybe more than that customers. They're gonna use that same deployment to their customer to put broadband uh, availability and, and that goes to everybody. So I think what we need is creativity here, and this is where the entrepreneurship and the innovation comes in. It can't, yeah. You can't just say, okay, Frontier, serve the entire state, because obviously that doesn't work. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or, okay, exactly. CityNet, you do, you know, it, that doesn't work. You're going to have to have partnerships. And the, the, the good news is the Universal Service Fund, uh, that used to money tax that you pay on your phone used to go to making sure everybody had availability of a phone. Now it's going to making sure people have availability to broadband. Uh, and there's all kinds of complicating issues like, do you have it, don't you have it, but I won't get into that. So I think you need to find partnerships, whether it's your municipality, your, your rural cooperative, your internet service provider, your school system, your um, even a big employer could uh and so that that this is where i think we're going to get it to the last place yeah that, uh, the the power company yeah, yeah exactly exactly that's those are great thoughts frank is a former member of the west virginia state board of education i mean obviously uh what the senators uh talking about there these these um creative innovative ways of of bringing broadband what are your thoughts on that yeah so you know ha having served on the state board it, you know, I've heard many stories and I've been to many schools where you know, just access, as you mentioned, Jim, is so critical. And it, but there's also the non-educational factors, right? So sure. what kind of homes, you know, are these you know, are the students living in, you know, the quality of the education learning environment? So distance learning becomes very challenging. We, there's a there's a, a 
tech company in Jefferson County right now that's developing an assessment tool just to help uh, county districts determine what, what are their needs, how are they delivering uh, education through technology, and where are the gaps so that they can at least plan um, for the future, right? So, so especially if, if there's reasons to, you know, even bad weather sometimes requires school to be canceled. So if we yeah. can have a good technology infrastructure and a way to deliver education, that's great. But we also have to consider the, the non-educational factors. And, um, and yeah, it's great to have, have hotspots and, you know, where parents can drive into the local school and upload their, their documents on a Chromebook. I mean, that works. And it, yeah. it certainly helps my kids. But there's some discriminatory factors there, too, assuming that parents have a car assuming that parents have a driver's license and then they can get into the school. So I think Senator, as you're, you know, working on plans uh, and, and you have the, you know, the ear of the president and, and, and Congress, you know, I, I think looking at those non-educational factors will be critical as well. Yeah, I, I agree. And I thought, you know, the other thing that kind of strikes me just listening to Senator and John and Frank talking is, uh, you know, this whole telework, right? We're seeing this unleashing of work from home. And some people are saying, you know, this is going to be the way it's going to be for large corporations. New York City landlords are uh, with these giant towers and, and, and monstrosity buildings are saying, hey, people may never come back to these places. Now, I'm looking at a massive um, opportunity for West Virginia. If you could work for a a, a Manhattan company and live in Greenbrier County, West Virginia, and can, you know, telework, that would be an, an amazing thing, but we can't do that unless we have this infrastructure. And, uh, but I do think that that's going to be a, an opportunity for West Virginia, honestly, is, uh, is, is if, we, if we can really establish high-speed broadband connectivity, um, in, especially in the rural parts of, of West Virginia. So, Jim, if I could, if yeah, I could uh, ask the senator a question yes, based absolutely. on what you just said. Yeah. From an opportunity standpoint, so – so when you look at unemployment in West Virginia, you know, January, we we're around five, a little over 5%. I mean, they're talking about potentially over 18% unemployment, 200,000 of the approximate 800,000 workers in West Virginia you know, have filed for unemployment. So that's roughly a quarter. Now that's the downside, right? That's the negative. But on a positive standpoint, Senator, what could we do to really re-engineer and pivot our workforce with, with almost a quarter of that workforce going to need to re-emerge into the workforce. How could we pivot and, and really be a beacon throughout the country and say that West Virginia is nimble enough to pivot its entire workforce in a way you know, toward technology, coding, artificial intelligence, uh, energy, healthcare. I'm, I'm not exactly sure where, but how could we, from your perspective, pivot to really gain in our economy? Well, I think really a lot of what's going to drive this, Frank, is are the universities. Uh, if you look at, uh, and, and I don't know the whole story here, but if you look at Pittsburgh, for instance, uh, when the steel industry, you know, had the major downturn, which was a major factor in Pittsburgh's wealth and, and community employment and everything tied to that, they had to refashion themselves and they and you guys are closer up there to pittsburgh than i am but in my view they've they've refashioned themselves as a financial center and a health center and and the innovation is 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 occurring there and you can see the spread when you drive up there you see the spread of 
and, 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 and so I say congratulations to them. So how did they do that? My understanding is Carnegie Mellon and Pitt and some of the other institutions in the region became the thought leaders here. And, and I think that's what you see at, yeah. at West Virginia and, and at Marshall too, where you've got innovation centers, you've got the new Vantage, I think it's called Vantage Ventures at, mm-hmm. uh, under the business school at, uh, at WVU, where you've got um, incubator concepts and mentoring. Um, the mm-hmm. other thing is we are so close to the nation's population. I mean, we're not that far from New York, but we're really close to the DC area yeah. and um you know i think people are going to be looking for different things so i think we've got to market that side of our uh of our attractiveness to 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 be able to um uh, have centers of excellence develop wherever they 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 might you can sort of see it already happening in the in the eastern panhandle uh, people are, it's a flow out from DC. They're sick of the traffic and now they're going to be sick of the spread of disease and other things and realizing that they, I can do this from home or I can do this from a, 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 a better area that maybe I can enjoy my family more and see them more because I'm not stuck in a car commuting 24 seven. And, and so I think that, you know, Shepard is a good thought leader there in that, in that area. I, I really think this is where we need to push our, our uh, institutions to really help us develop. Now, in the quarter where you guys are, and, and in, in the Harrison County area, and obviously in the Bridgeport area, you've got such a nice tech sector going up through there. Lidos has built a new building, expanding uh, up into Morgantown. I mean, the, you've got some good things going. You just need to keep telling the good story. And, uh, and I think that's, that's always been a challenge for us as West Virginians. For some reason, we, we can't get our good story out. And, and if they want to write a bad, sometimes I think if the Washington Post wants to write it, all, all due respect to journalists, if the, if the Washington Post wants to write a bad story, they always come over to West Virginia and find somebody who can give it to them. And I'm like, stop. No doubt. So no I, doubt. John, I would like to throw it over to you. <laughs> well, I think, uh, you know, I, as a journalist, I get frustrated by that too. So, yeah. uh, you know, because it does seem sometimes that, uh, you know, and if they, if they swoop in and they very seldom swoop in to, I don't remember how many of them were swooping in when, when the FBI relocated here. Right and brought 2,500 jobs here. If they did, they were saying what a negative it was to bring into West Virginia. You know, early on in this, uh, when we talk about telework, early on I had an opportunity to talk to a native West Virginian from Ritchie County who actually works for one of the large defense contractors, Lockheed Martin, Mm -hmm. and he and his wife both, and they were in Spain during the major breakout there. They Mm -hmm. live in Spain. Uh, they both work for Lockheed Martin. He's actually involved with U.S. operations. She's involved with Far East operations and needed to be closer to those. But they had always teleworked. So even when they lived in Orlando, Florida, they were teleworking from Orlando, Florida. You could telework for these large corporations. The, the question is, is how do you get it so that it's efficient and functional as we scale down to the smaller corporations and and, you know, I think Jim Estep and, and the folks at the high-tech high uh, consortium foundation there in Fairmont are doing a good job of helping us uh, get there. But I think we definitely need to put an emphasis on 
you know, hey, West Virginia is a great place. We can, you know, we can get you going. And, you know, you could still keep your personnel in New York. They just don't need to be on one of those skyscrapers. Yeah, right. Keep them in Reston or whatever the case may be. They can live in the suburbs where there's green grass and trees and, um, you know, have a better quality of life. So there's, there's, I, I see it as a huge, huge opportunity. Hello, everyone. It's uh, Friday, May 15th. Folks, I'm going to have to duck, duck out here because the governor's starting his press conference <laughs> and I need to yeah. listen in on that one. So my apologies, Senator, but I, I appreciate all your efforts. For Thanks, sure. John. John. Good to see you and yeah. talk with you. Great Thanks. Job. Great job. So, Senator, uh, I'd like to, you know, kind of talk a little bit about this opportunity because I think we're on to a, a really good uh, theme here. And, and, and as we start emerging and as the as the state is opening back up, I, I can't help but think that, you know, that manufacturing, uh, you know, we're talking about tele, telework and, and technology, which I think is great, too. But the, the opportunity, there's a lot of clamor right now. I'm seeing all sorts of, of noise about, you know, we need to bring, bring manufacturing back to West Virginia or the United States. Let's, let's put it that way. And, and I feel like we have a, a, a workforce that could potentially transition into, you know, whether it's light manufacturing or heavy manufacturing in West Virginia, because of what you just said, the proximity to, you know, the, the population centers of the United States. And what are some of your thoughts on, on that as we, I don't know if you're kind of in the same mindset or not, but I feel like there's such opportunity with our transportation system, our proximity, right. manufacturing could be a, a real opportunity. I do think manufacturing could, uh, and we uh, could help lead the way. Uh, and, and you know, it's it's not the manufacturing of old. And 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 sometimes I think the younger generation, if you say, "Hey, do you want to get a manufacturing job?" They have a vision of a, uh, you know, a, a hammer and nail uh, <laughs> putting together a bookcase or something. And when really what they're doing is it's robotics. It's uh, it's all uh, tied to uh, software development and, and things of that nature. I mean, if you go down to the Toyota plant in Buffalo, you see a, a, a tremendous workforce in their team members, but you know, they have, they have a great work concept in, in their, in their factories and that's yeah. why they keep people and yeah, they, exactly. and the, yeah. But I think that is the thing that we've got to get to younger people. And Frank was talking about, you know, education that that's the key there is to get to young people to say the manufacturing of old is is not the name. And I, I joke sometimes and say, why don't you change the name from manufacturing to something else that sounds a little more, uh, you know, far, uh, agriculture has done this. They don't, they right. don't talk about farming anymore. They talk about digital agriculture and, and innovative agriculture. And it's just sounds better to the next generation. Hydroponics. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I think about it also, one of the moves I think you're going to see, and I think West Virginia could capitalize on, is this whole, let's make this, let's make these masks, let's make these gloves, let's make these pharmaceuticals here in our country. We cannot be reliant on China just because it's cheaper. Uh, they hoarded their um, materials, they hoarded their protective devices for their own people, which, you know, Okay, but um, it really caused us, I think, to to get to be slow to get off to the for the PPE and for some of the medications. And so I think we're going to see a made in America kind of thing. I think about Morgantown. You know, Milan's got extra space. What a great place 
to, uh, to enhance our sort of made in America. This is where our stockpiles are going to be made yeah. and, 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 and move forward from there. So that's one idea that I know is coming. Uh, and uh, I think that West Virginia could play uh, a, good, uh, a good role in it. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the, you kind of talked a little bit about telling our, our story, right? West Virginia mm-hmm. and, and the, mm-hmm. the good word out there. And quite honestly, we started this Positively West Virginia show uh, back in 2017. That was the whole mission. And Frank's been on the, on the show a couple of times. He's one of my good buddies. And, and we're, we, we're like-minded in that, in that regard. And, and we keep talking about, you know, entrepreneurship and the unleashing of entrepreneurship could be an amazing thing in West Virginia to keep our young people here, you know? Right. I, and that's one of the reasons I started this daggum show, to be honest with you, is like, you know, I get tired of seeing West Virginia be at the bottom of the, of the good list a lot of times and at the top of the bad list, right? Obesity and heart disease and, it, and all these things that we're, it, we just get such bad press for. And, and my thought is, is that, you know, if, if we could show, uh, and that's what we try to do is highlight and talk to entrepreneurs around, around the state of West Virginia every week and just give people an opportunity maybe to equip them with some, some knowledge or to inspire them with a, with a great story. Uh, and, and entrepreneurship is not easy. You know, Frank's a small business owner. I am as well. Been doing this for, for nine years. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a tough thing and, and, and it's not easy, you know, and, and I think, you know, just like, um, just like a blacksmith takes a piece of, of, of iron and puts it in the oven and, and gets it hot and then beats it with a hammer and shapes it into something. We, we have that kind of a, um, a mindset in West Virginia, you know, of, of being gritty, of being tough, of being, you know, um, almost an underdog, so to speak. What are some of your thoughts uh, with regard to entrepreneurship and, and young youngsters? You know, we talked about education and, and getting broadband and stuff like that. But what, are, what about as far as like, how do we get these young people to realize that they can do anything in West Virginia? You could start a company, you could start a technology company. Because we see it time and you know, Frank's working with, with uh, Frank's a veteran also, an army veteran. And thanks for your service, Frank. But you know, with Frank talks with business owners all over the state of West Virginia, veterans and 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 young people and, and people that are entrepreneurial. What what are some things that we can do to really foster that entrepreneurial drive to keep our young people from exiting West Virginia to leaving to go to other potential opportunities? What are some of the, your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I think that's that's a difficult kind of a difficult question because I'm not sure uh, I, some of my ideas. Uh, would only probably scratch the surface of what you really need to do. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, at the root of some of it, and you all are small business owners and and know this well, a lack of capital, a startup capital, availability of funding. uh, You know, we have an angel or two fund in the state, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's just not enough. And, uh, I know actually my son in the legislature, we talk, he, uh, my son Moore's in the legislature and, the state legislature, and we talk a lot about this. And he's t- taken a real interest in this in terms of the tech jobs and uh, some to give the state some tools to help a tech startup. Or you know, knowing that if you pick ten, you know, half of them are going to fail. And uh, but you know, you might hit it big. And so I think availability of capital is something that I think the state's trying to work through some of these legislative initiatives that he started. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and he, he started with a group of younger people in the legislature, which 
quite a few of them. When I was there, we were all pretty old, but now they're young. Um, so, yeah, so that's, I think, good. Encouraging, yeah. Uh, I think that um, the capital issue, I mean, for instance, uh, the PPP loan was a small business loan, but if you've ever tried to get a small business loan beyond that, I mean, I don't know if either one of you have. <laughs> yeah, Frank, it's, it's, it's nearly impossible, right? Yes. Yeah, and that's the paperwork right. and the time. The bureaucracy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, we got to make it easier because there's funding there. We got to make it easier for our, and I think that's what we found through the PPP. If you make it easy, there's lots of people that are eager. Um, I think that, um, you know, I think that every, I mean, I can't tell you all the people that come to me with ideas. So I don't really think we're short on ideas. That's right. I think yeah. a lot of people have good ideas. It's they just don't know where to go. So you know, there used to be a program through the Small Business Administration where they have a mentor, an active mentorship. Uh, and I think that's what they try to foster at some of the universities where you have businesses in certain growth patterns and, and you can mentor the next one coming on. I think that is really critical. You I see believe some that's of our, the, yeah, the SCORE program. Yeah. They have, yeah. Uh, yeah, mentors and, and kind of hooking you up with uh, kind of coaches. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, you, know, you, bring and so, up, you bring up the idea about, there are a lot of good ideas and, and that's true. But I think, you know, we have to determine what makes this different. I mean, we're clearly at a sentinel moment in the history of our country. And I hope that there would be some investment at, at a national level hmm. on coming up with, you know, a, a way, you know, to plan on how we can pivot through this and, and grow through it as a country so that we don't get in this situation again, so to speak. I mean, there's always things that are gonna happen that you can't control or prevent, but I hope we, we really do invest in an after action review, so to speak, and how we can you know, better you know, sort of weather the storm as, as, uh, as my good friend Jim likes to say. Yeah, and I think that's a good point, Frank, because, you know, uh, obviously, like I said, it was a heavy lift, uh, an emergency called for emergency action. And I think uh, Congress and our federal government, and Senator, you did a great job of, of acting swiftly to avoid um, what could have been a very, very, very painful situation uh, with, uh, with the folks out there. There's a lot of people hurting, right, and still are right now. We're not diminishing that. But, but Frank, that was kind of the reactive moment. Now we've got to have a proactive moment. And I think that's right. what I'm hearing you talk about. And, and I think that's, uh, that's really, uh, really a, a great point. Senator, one of the things that I'm, I'm curious about, I, I'm, Frank and I both are, are, are students of leadership and we, uh, we, we talk a lot about leadership. And I want, I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, some of the, you know, here we are, you know, on May 15th, 2020, and who could have imagined we'd be sitting here talking about all this stuff back in February even, you know, but I'm, I'm curious, like, what are some of the leadership lessons you've learned uh, through the last nine, nine or 10 weeks or so? Well, I don't know if it's been a forcible thing for me, but um, I think communication is key. I've been communicating on Zooms and conference calls and uh, where before I've been relying mostly on face-to-face -face meetings or, or phone calls every now, you know, but mostly face-to-face uh, -face or face-to-face -face with my staff. I haven't even seen my staff, but we're still moving forward and, and, and getting things done. I mean, I've seen them periodically and they're working hard from, from home. So communication is key. So if you look at, if you look at the president, if you look at the governor, um, I had a conversation with the governor very early on and, one thing I did say to him is, 
I would communicate every single day, which we see he's doing. <laughs> I don't know. He was probably going to do that anyway. But I think people look to point. leaders for confidence and, and they want some definable direction. And that's what I think he's also given us with this six week, you know, a, a pathways to opening. Now, where you see the president, he over communicated, in my opinion. I mean, I think he's communicating every day, but he let it he let it go too long. He had these long, long sessions with because that's the nature of his personality. And I think you lose your audience after that. So communication, but also focused communication. You know, here's how many people died. Here's what our testing is. This is what we're going to do. Next question. Here's our health guy. Here's our uh, natural work. So communication is critical. And mm -hmm. I, I think I've been doing a lot of communicating. Um, I think um, that uh, listening is a good leadership skill always. And if you look at what people want to know, they want to know that your leaders are listening to the experts. Now, you're going to make your own decision as a leader, but you've got to consider your expert opinions. So you're talking to somebody on the economic side, you're talking to a health person, you're talking to a logistics person, and in the end, you're, you're coming around to a consensus decision yourself. You know, decisiveness in a crisis is always, I think, good. I used to say people would rather have you make a decision and then undo it than to just sit there and not decide. Yeah. Uh, I think that's so frustrating. And Lou Holtz, I saw him one time. He's hilarious, by the way, but I, he gave a leadership lecture, which is pretty good. And West Virginia boy. Yeah, yeah. And he, he says, if you're not making a decision or if you're just standing still, you're really falling behind. Yeah. And, and that's right, because everybody's going past you. And so I think in times of crisis, I think decisiveness is, and you obviously see that in the military, uh, is something that they teach, I'm sure, uh, through leadership, if you read any of the, I've been getting into World War II novels lately because of my dad's service there and the decisiveness of which we made really tough decisions uh, ended up, uh, you know, being good decisions. Not everyone was good, but, you know, and, and so those are some of the things I think about. And, and, you know, the other thing I always think, I don't know, this is probably not a really good leadership trait, but it's something that I appreciate in people in general that if you misspoke or you said something inaccurate, take the time to try to correct yourself mm. or, you know, offer an apology if you got short tempered or um, if you don't know the answer. I mean, I, I, we're all human here. And, and, and I appreciate, I want to know my leaders are human too. I don't want some robot being my leader. Right. Although that's probably going to happen someday <laughs> with all these robots you see. So Artificial intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. Those are some great. of them. Those are great. Frank, do you have any follow-ups on those? Those are great points. That, that, those really are. And, and I think, you know, I think the heart in which you lead is critical. You know, you know, no one's perfect. You, know, you do, you know, do the best you can with the information you have available, the resources you have available. And I think we've seen that leaders collaborate much better because of this crisis than we have in the past. I, I think collaboration uh, and leaning on you know people who are experts, subject matter experts, mm. you know, the best at what they do, particularly in the healthcare community, I think has been a very wise choice on the part of many leaders. Oh, just just uh, I think of, uh, Governor Justice bringing Dr. Clay Marsh in as the coronavirus czar was brilliant. I mean, that guy, he you know he he knows his. He knows what he's talking about, and, and he's a, a calm voice in the chaos, you know, 
And that's just my, you know, my, my thought on it. Anyway, I, I had him, I had Dr. Clay Marshall on as a guest uh, during the, during the um, uh, coronavirus uh, daily business briefings that we were doing there, did 31 of those in a row. And I, and, and I, I felt that, you know, I, I think there's a lot to be learned from this uh, crisis uh, from a, from a leadership standpoint. And I, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Senator, about, about listening um, and, and being decisive. I think that, uh, you know, and Frank and I have had this discussion, I think during this whole thing, you know, people were, were starved for leadership. You know, they were, they were, I right. think generally speaking, this is a, a general term and it's not applicable everywhere, but I think by and large people want to be led and uh, you know, they don't oftentimes know what to do or, or where to go. And uh, others aren't, aren't in, in that camp, but, but I think in a, in a, in a crisis, we were all looking for that. And I feel like it's uh you know, it's such a, a pivotal point in our in our history um, where we can uh, look back on this and learn some lessons. So thank you for for sharing that as well. Uh, our guest today is Senator Shelley Moore Capito, and we also have as a panelist Frank Vitale with Forge Business Systems Solutions, Forge, Biz, Forge Business Solutions. I'm your host, Jim Matuga. Um, Senator, as we wrap up our hour here, um, I would like to know if you have any, you know, fire, uh, parting words of wisdom or some advice for small business owners out there who are kind of beaten up, battered, uh, maybe a little down hearted right now. What are some, uh, some words that you could leave them with? Well, I think that, uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel. I think that we, you know, you just mentioned that people want to be led and I think you're right there in something like this. And I think we've followed the provisions of distancing and, not visiting our loved ones in nursing homes and not opening our businesses. And uh, I just think, you know, I was pledging patience in the beginning and I think we still need to be patient, but I think we can very smartly do this. We see other places that are doing that. And, um, and so I would just encourage small businesses that are still closed to be ready on that, you know, next Thursday, I think there's small, um, retail are going to be able to open if you have, I don't know, a certain amount of people, you know, get, get all your parameters set up. So the day, so then when that day comes, you know, your door's open and, and you're ready to go and you're, you know, so I, prepare, preparedness, I think is going to be critical here. And that's going to be the key to perpetuity to keeping open is how prepared you are from the day you open your door. And, and then I think just uh, the other thing is try to be kind to people. I mean, there, there's, I think we've, we have exercise, even in Washington, D.C., although I will say somebody honked at me, and I was like, really? There's like two cars on the road, and you have to honk <laughs> at me? They love their horns over there. But um, I, don't, I don't know what I was doing, probably something honkable. But uh, in any event, um, you know, I think that people have to be uh, patient with the new way we're going to have to do things, at least temporarily. So I'm ready to open. I'm, I'm really reached my impatience limit last Saturday night. I just looked at my husband and said, when is this going to stop? <laughs> but I, you know, I'm back on it now and, uh, and That's hopefully great. things will get better. There's blue sky there. There's blue yeah, sky. Absolutely. Absolutely. Frank, do you have any parting thoughts? Well, I just want to thank the Senator, you know, thank you for your leadership Thanks, and you're always putting West Virginia first and, and we're grateful for that. You know, I believe in never wasting a good crisis. <laughs> And I hope that West Virginia charts a course, not back to normal, but creates and innovates a new normal. 
you know, we had the lowest workforce participation rate in the nation before this crisis. And with that, you know, we, we need to get people back to work, but we also could create and chart a pop, more positive course for ourselves because we have great people. We have wonderful natural resources. And I think we really could become the shining city on the hill. So I hope that true leadership uh, doesn't only rise up now, but will continue because we have a you know, long road ahead, but we can do so much good. So thank you and thank you for being on. Thank you. Thanks guys. Yes. Great stuff, Frank. Thank you, Senator Shelley Moore Capito and Frank Vitale with Forge Business Solutions. Folks, that's it for today's Positively West Virginia, West Virginia Small Business Mastermind. My hope is that we brought you some valuable insight that you can use in your business today. Uh, I want to also take a moment to thank our sponsors for Positively West Virginia, and they are insurance centers, uh, the State Journal, WVNews.com, and Interaction Media. On behalf of our entire Interaction Media team, I'm your host, Jim Matuga. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay positive, West Virginia.